Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go. No, you're going to have to sing it. I'll get you started. Where everybody knows your name. Bam, 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 bam. Weak. Let's get it louder. Bam, bam. <laughs> you want to be where everybody knows your name. Ba-da-da-dum, bam, bam. I'm not a piano player, but ba-da-da-dum, bam. So, Sam, Carla, Norm, Cliff, Fraser, Rebecca, Woody, what a cast, right? We all wanted them to know our name. Am I correct? We loved the I'll be there for you culture of friends. We loved the pop-in friendship culture of Seinfeld. There was something going on in the 80s and 90s where um, there's no, you know, I haven't read a study or anything. This is just my opinion. That I think our secular culture was dying for community. And so what we put on the television was just these stories of, you know, cheers, right? So you're, you're there, you're in a pub, you're in a restaurant, you're, you're friends, Seinfeld, you're in an apartment where friends just pop by. And what was probably actually happening, happening in our world was there was this kind of loneliness, an increase of loneliness. And so I think what we wanted to see on television was this picture of this beautiful community that everybody would know your name. And as we think about our culture and the loneliness in our own city, um, we're longing for real community. We're, we're longing for life together. Some of the most haunting words in pop culture are from Eleanor Rigby, the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby, right? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? Albert Schweitzer wrote this, quote, we're all so much together, but we're all dying of loneliness. And yet... We, as followers of Jesus, I'm not sure if we always know it, but we carry in our hands this incredible gift of community. We have been given a community centered on the love of Jesus. And what, what I'll try to argue today is that Jesus knew that the way a lonely and broken world would know his love was when they witnessed his love in his people. That the way our city would come to know the love of God would be when our city witnessed Jesus' love in Jesus' people. So Jesus gave us this command. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so, Jesus, we know you're with us here today. And we would ask in your mercy that you would create in us, form in us, a culture of self-giving love that would be attractive to our city. Lord God, we pray that you would heal us of loneliness, of isolation, and that people would come to see the beauty of the cross and resurrection as they experience love in our community. Shape us, lead us, teach us. 
We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Well, welcome everyone to our four-week series, Love and Light, learning to share the good news like Jesus. And um, some of you might be uh, new to Jesus, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, but you're probably like, okay, this is awkward. Why do I care about a series about sharing the good news of Jesus if I'm not sure that news is good just yet, right? Uh, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. Well, we're, first of all, glad you're here, glad you're with us. You're on a journey discovering more about Christianity, more about the Bible. It's, it's awesome you're here. I'd just like to say um, something I've shared the last couple of weeks. I'm really glad you're here for two reasons. Number one, I think you'll resonate with just this idea that uh, we love to share with others uh, all about the things we love, right? If you love something or someone, don't you want to talk about it? Like, don't you want to share it? Um, for instance, I have become an evangelist of the good news of of hazelnut croissants from Blacksmith Bakery. And, and, and I promise I'm not getting any endorsement. Uh, I don't know the leadership of Blacksmith Bakery. What I'm saying to you is it is the, one of the greatest things uh, ever to taste uh, in terms of pastries, uh, bread, items, uh, hazelnut croissant Blacksmith Bakery, right? So I, I have become the bearer of good news uh, in that sense. And so I think so if you are new to Jesus, you'll just know, this is natural. I mean, the things we love, we want to share about them. And so how much more the love of Jesus, right? How much more this, this one who has changed our lives and transformed our thinking and, and forgiven our sins and, and, and pointed us to, um, to life and life to the full. So we, we, it's, it's natural. And the second thing I would just say, if you are new to Jesus, is that I'm really glad you're here because you get to hear the story of my friend Caitlin. Um, she's going to share a little bit about how she, in the last number of years, has encountered Jesus. And so uh, I'm really glad you're here to hear that story. <clears throat> but our scripture reading for today is uh, Acts chapter 2. And if you've been to North Langley for any num number of uh, uh, weeks, months, years, you'll know that, that this is a, a, a scripture passage that we like to dwell on for good reason. What you're going to hear right now is a description of the very early followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 2. Now, what's going on here? So Jesus, if you're new to the Bible, Jesus has lived his life. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead three days later. And then he, what's called the ascension, he went back up into heaven um, where he sits uh, at the right hand of the Father right now. And what he said, he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? That's, that's the Spirit of God, that God would dwell in his people. And he told his followers, he says, in Jerusalem, he said, wait for the coming of the Spirit. And so what we're going to read is a description of the community and what it looked like after it had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you would, would you grab your Bible? We'll go to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read this description. And, 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 and <laughs> Christians, if you've read the Bible for many years, you are going to read this passage and it's just going to kind of be like, yeah, I know that one. Can I ask you, once again, to hear this passage as though you're hearing it for the very first time? Go back with me 2,000 years ago to this group of followers of Jesus. They had been filled with the Spirit. And now listen to what their life looks like. Chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I think you would agree that people are drawn to loving communities, right? We, we think of that, if you could go back in your mind, maybe to your childhood and think of that family, maybe they were down the block, maybe they were the family of a friend of yours, who you just knew their home was a, was a good home. Um, trusted parents, a warm meal, a lot of kindness, and and you go back to that place, and you just go, I knew I was loved in that home. You may have even had a, a difficult home yourself um, growing up in your home, but you knew that that was a safe place. You wanted to be there, uh, be with your friends, be with that family. Maybe some of you, you think of your workplace, and uh, maybe you think of a former workplace, and you go, you know what, um, I remember uh, that workplace, and it was just, I was loved there. Those were good people. That was a good staff culture, you know? Don't you want to work at a place that has a good staff culture? You know, for some of you in the room, you may, maybe you've even made a decision to be paid less so that you could, be, you could work in a certain place where, where you knew you were loved, um, that you were valued as an employee. That's attractive. It's really attractive. And of course, we all think of friendship groups, right? Friendship circles. Um, my hope today is that, is that we will begin to cultivate a place here of friends that we truly love one another. But maybe for now, that's not a reality, and you have to kind of maybe go back quite a number of years before you remember that group you hung out with in high school, or that group from college, or that gap year program that you were part of, and the, and the beautiful relationships that were there. It was attractive. You wanted to be part of that. You were, you were drawn, people are drawn to loving communities. And, and of course, this makes sense. This is, this is just Jesus knew this. God wired us this way. This is so natural. We know that there's something good genuine, true, when we see people loving one another. It's, it's like it's real, it's true. There's, there is a, that, that is a good place, that's a safe place. I wanna be there. There's something true and good happening in that place and I wanna be part of it. And, and so what was Jesus doing? He spent years, several years, cultivating this community of people who would, be, who would love one another. <laughs> And, and can I just say, I don't have time to go into this, but he picked the wildest people to join this little movement of his. Some of you will know that two of his followers, which we often just marvel at, that they were in the same group of 12 followers of Jesus, one is Simon the Zealot, and the other is Matthew the Tax Collector, right? And so the, any of you who know Jewish culture, first century Jewish culture at the time, you'll know that Simon the Zealot is ready to slit the throat of Roman soldiers, right, of the, of, the, of the empire. And you'll know that Matthew, the tax collector, was raising funds for the empire. And Jesus was like, I'll take you, and I'll take you. Come, follow me. Love one another, right? And uh, we, think we, we think we're polarized, and we're angry, and we live in a culture of outrage. Well, just imagine that, right? These two guys learning to love each other. This is what Jesus was doing. He was, he was putting together this diverse little group that would learn to love one another, and so look what happened. He sends his spirit. And look at this group in the book of Acts, this new community, people who had been so filled by the spirit of God. They, they had been forgiven by Jesus. They had been loved by Jesus. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they just, they simply look different. They loved being together. 
They loved learning together. They loved eating together. They loved to pray together. They loved to give to each other. They had this culture of generosity. It was attractive. It was literally the embodiment of God's love. And I just want to take a question to ask you. Are you in a group, a community who is meeting together, learning together, eating together, praying together, giving to one another? And if not, join one. And this is a very poor advertising campaign. But just so you know, like we as pastors put together little groups and we have on-ramps into groups here at the church, and sometimes we have this idealistic picture of what these groups could look like, but my encouragement to you is to be part of one, and and slowly over the weeks and months and years, learning to love each other. It's never perfect, right? As we always say, it's not perfect because I'm there, (laughs) and because you're there, And, and so we make it an imperfect community as we gather, but people from different walks of life Different ethnicities all gathered together, learning to pray together, study the scriptures, and and live a life of generosity to others. Do you have a community that is praying for you? That if you hit a hard time in life, would be the ones to gather around, to pray, to make meals for you, to love you? You Do you have that? We, We as a church, we don't do this perfectly, but we do our best to try to get all of us into spaces, circles, Um, You can check all this stuff out later, but Life Together course, Apprentice Life course. um, Anyway, I got to move on here. But just that's the question. Are we we experiencing this Acts 2 community? I I want you to notice something important from the description of the early church. We read this, verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, period. We're in the lower mainland, and... (laughs) Just say, so they sold property. And what, when, we, when we read this, we're like, yeah, but it was a different time. They weren't living like the situation we're in. Yeah, they had no social safety net. Like, and, and beyond that, this, these were Jews who had a very strong uh, attachment to land. And what are they doing? They're selling their property. It's because they had found an inheritance in Jesus that was bigger than the land. This is wild to think about, right? This was sacrifice here. So they they, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And they do this willingly, right? This was not some kind of, you know, socialism at the time or taking away, you know, taxation or something like that. This was like, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to sell my home. I do this out of my own free will because I love my neighbor, and so they sell their possessions and their property and they, they, they pool it together to help those in need. They do it willingly. And they met together daily and they ate together often. And they were glad and sincere in how they did all of this. And because of it, they enjoyed the favor of the people in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was like, I want to be part of that. That's attractive to me. And then this. Verse 47, this is, this is where I want to land today. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So 
You might have been wondering, where are we going here? Isn't this a whole series about evangelism? Well, now you see it. The Lord is adding to their number daily as they love one another. More people joining the community. It was multiplying. It was a multiplying community because their love for each other was their greatest evangelism. Their love for each other was their greatest evangelism. Look at this group. See how they love one another. Now, some of you might be interested in the history here. Historically, I think love for one another was how the good news spread so quickly across the Roman Empire. So those of you who are students of history, go back 2,000 years to the first century. Larry Hurtado, the the late historian from the University of Edinburgh, he, he wrote this. He said, historians, quote, simply do not know of any other Roman era religious group in which love played this important role in discourse or behavioral teaching. Followers of Jesus were doing something radically unique in the ancient world. Even the self-identified, quote, agnostic atheist, you're like, how do those go together? I don't know, but this is how he describes himself. The agnostic atheist, Bible scholar, Bart Ehrman, who is often critical of Christianity, he agrees. Bart Ehrman said, he said, the Roman and Greek world was all about dominance. There was no ethical problem in wiping out a village. Slavery, not a problem. Men dominating women, controlling women, it was not a problem. But here is Jesus who preaches service and sacrificial love, and it just was different. Which led Tertullian in the second century to to echo what non-Christians were saying about Jesus' followers when he wrote, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. See, there's, there's a reason why the Roman Empire fled from its gods and became a Christian empire. Now, some of you may have concerns over Christianity becoming the faith of the empire, right? So there's a lot written about that. But, but let me just say, why is it that thousands upon thousands of Romans were willing to leave their gods and become Christians? Well, Vishal Mangalwadi, in his book, The Book That Made Your World, he wrote this, quote, Romans rejected Rome's culture because Christ confronted its cruelties with the gospel of a compassionate God. He invited the poor, the meek, the sick, the sorrowing, the hungry, the weak, and the weary to come to him for rest. He blessed children, touched lepers, healed the handicapped, delivered the demonized, ate with social outcasts, protected prostitutes, taught illiterate masses, opposed the oppressors, and reconciled rebellious sinners with their loving and forgiving heavenly Father. Christ's followers built upon this tradition of compassion for the unlovable. See, you and I might assume that compassion and self-giving love are secular values, that compassion and self-giving love are maybe, quote-unquote, self-evident in our world. But are they truly self-evident? Historians have seen the unique contribution of humility, compassion, and self-giving love that Jesus gave to the world. We have not inherited these things from the ancient world, just so you know. Our secular culture has inherited our ethic of humility, compassion, and self-giving love from Jesus and from Jesus' followers who literally turned the ancient world upside down. Northangly, 
I want to share with you a mind-blowing verse of Scripture. And we haven't actually gone to this Scripture in over 10 years here as a church. But I want us to go to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. John, who's a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he, he writes this letter. And in the fourth chapter of his letter, he's writing about the love that Christians should have for one another. And let me show you what he writes. Let's go to 1 John 4. And we read these words. Let's start in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I'm just going to pause for a second. Just for many of us who followed Jesus for decades, listen, listen to that verse again. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. We say we know God. But if Matthew does not love, do I know God? What God am I believing in? Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I'm going to pause right here. Our world talks a lot about love, right? But we need to correctly define love. What is love? Is love just an affection, a feeling? No. What is love? Verse 10. Here it is. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Pause. What's he saying? You want to, do you want a correct definition of love? You know, you want to, love is love, all you need is love, all these phrases. You, you want a correct definition of love? Look at the cross. That's love. Self-giving love. Willing the good of the other. This is, it, the heart is Christ, Jesus, who gave up his life on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So then verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Okay, oh, man, okay, this is it. This, 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 there's the emoji where the head blows off the top of the skull. Do you know that one? That's this verse. Okay, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Let that sink in for a second. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Okay, just, just watch this. Notice that last sentence. No one has ever seen God. You seen God? No. Have Christians seen God? No, they haven't seen God. No one has ever seen God. This is Apostle John, right? He says this. No one's seen God. So where do people go to see him? <laughs> where might people find God? Where, do, where, do, where am I supposed to see God? The answer that John, the beloved disciple, gives us is in us, in the church, amongst followers of Jesus, in the gathered community of people called Christians. 
And, and, and specifically, not just in us, but in what? In the love we share with one another. You want to see God? You want to come to know God? You'll see it in the love that Christians share for one another. I, I had the opportunity to be a youth pastor here at the church for five years. Five amazing years. I, it was so much fun. And uh, I'll just tell you the story of one youth kid. And um, he came up to me, and he had been really struggling. He grew up as a Christian kid. He was probably about 15, 16 years old. And uh, I think he was in grade 10 at the time. And he came up to me, and he was, he was not feeling good. And he was like, you know what? Um, he was really lonely, too. He didn't have a lot of friends. And he said, he said, you know what? I'm an atheist. I said, okay. And he said, I'm here tonight, but I just want to let you know. I'm, I'm officially an atheist. And I was like, okay. And I was like, hope you have fun tonight. And we were going to play this game for three hours here at the church. And um, at the end of the night, he came up to me. And he had made some friends at youth group. And these kids, uh, teenagers, high school kids, invited him to hang out after youth, which is always, a, you know, things shut down here at 10 o'clock, but a bunch of Christian high school kids going to hang out after youth, right? He's like, they, they invited me to go hang out. And he said, you know, I think I believe in God now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That makes sense, <laughs> you know. And uh, some of us are like, well, what about the like, rational argument for God's existence and apologetics and you know, the Bible and whatever? And I'm like, yeah, no, none of that was there. It was literally, uh, he was loved. <laughs> and he was invited into a community. And, and, and yet somehow in how God made us, it's like, oh, God exists. <laughs> oh, there's a God. You know, Literally, there's a God. Uh, I was just invited and loved. <clears throat> it's wild how it works. But see, as Christians, uh, we're so, and I mentioned this last week, we're, we're so used to saying to, to people who are new to Christianity or new to Jesus, we're like, hey, hey, listen, don't look at us. Look at Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, we're like, okay, so, you know, we're like, unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. It's not, it's not what Scripture says, right? So we say, you know, we're messed up, we're broken, we're hypocrites. But God's amazing. Jesus is awesome. The Spirit of God is awesome. That's not how it works in the scriptures. See, according to the scriptures, Christian community is how the world sees God. If, if I needed to see God at work, I should have to look no further than the church. So, when our city looks at us, what are they seeing? That's the difficult question. It's, there's an opportunity there. But there's also a lament there. So let's start with some honesty. What do they see? They see pastors in the news in financial scandal. Or they see pastors in the news in sexual scandal. They see abuse in the church. And many of us in the room have had difficult experiences in the church. Maybe in this church. Many of us have had difficult experiences with other Christians. And it was like a, it was like a wall. It was, a, it was blocking us from God. And it makes us feel like the whole Christian thing is empty. Uh, just a personal story here. I watched uh, my own church in Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma, Southern Baptist Church. And um, I watched my own church in Oklahoma 
uh, push my youth pastor uh, out of our church, and he had to go find a job at another church. And he was like my hero. He was, um, I was 16 at the time. He, you know, between age kind of 12 to 16 for four years, he had really built into me and shaped me. And, um, and you know, I just watched our church kind of push him out. And, and then in kind of a horrible turn of events, um, my, youth, my youth pastor um, took his own life at, at that church that he went to. Um, he had been accused of sexual abuse. And uh, the police came to the front door to tell him early in the morning. And he said, can I have an hour? And then he told his wife. The police left. But when they came back, he had, he'd killed himself. He'd taken his own life. And I remember the, mo- the morning my dad woke me up when I was 16. And he told me what happened. And there's, there's layers to the story because it wasn't until, you know, I had kind of always presumed his innocence, that he never did this. But some of you are aware that last year or two years ago, whenever it was, the Southern Baptists released they, this database of pastors that had been accused of abusing others. And they just released this list. And I went to the Oklahoma section, and I saw the name of my youth pastor on this list. And it just hits you again. You're like, he did it? did this and so it's just this a mix of emotions of him doing this and him taking his life but him being pushed out by the other it's all this swirl and I why do I still love the church (laughs) why do I want to be a pastor after that experience and I I, and I was trying to figure that out (laughs) and I would say because amidst the pain and dysfunction that I've seen in the church, I see Jesus here. I see him in you. I see his freedom and his love and his kindness and his generosity and his abundant love here. I thought about it, I was like, It's North Langley Community Church that gives me hope. It's you. It's the way in which I've been loved and Tanya's been loved by each of you. It's it's what I've seen many of you work through and the freedom that you fought for and the generosity that you've poured out for others. And it's the stories. Are there tough, horrible stories? Yes. (laughs) But are are, are there moments where you just see Jesus at work? Yes. And it's all complicated. But in the healing and the giving and the loving that I've seen on the corner of 96 and 210, I believe that our love for each other is our greatest evangelism. I still have hope. Call me the optimist, right? But hopefully it's a hope anchored in Jesus, that this was his plan. And you and I can really argue with the plan. We're like, us, really? (laughs) The love we share? And that's his plan. And I want to say here at North Langley, we want people to experience this in many ways. And one of the primary ways, we want people to get this sense that they belong even before they believe, uh, that they're they're loved even, even before they might acknowledge that there is a God or that Jesus died on the cross for them, is that, is that we would invite them to meals and circles. And one of the beautiful ways we do this is the Alpha Course. And you'll know I've been talking a lot about the Alpha Course because I just think it's such a great space 
for people to experience love and belonging around a meal. At the Alpha Course, if you are new to the Alpha Course, it's an eight-week course designed to introduce people to Jesus. It's for anyone who would consider themselves atheist, agnostic, on a journey from another faith, just curious. You're just curious about Jesus. Feel free to come. It starts Wednesday, September 27th. You probably got a card that uh, coming in. You can use that for yourself or give it to someone else. Um, but we gather together around tables and we eat a meal and we'll be in this room and we'll watch a video about a particular topic like who is Jesus or why did Jesus have to die or you know, how do I pray or how do I read my Bible? And, um, and then we just listen to one another. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to play a little video introducing you to Alpha as my friend Caitlin comes up on stage and she's going to share with you her story. So just check this out. We share things every day, things that are meaningful to us, that entertain, inspire, or challenge us. We share moments, good or bad, big or small, because what we share matters. We have the chance to share something incredible, the hope that has transformed our lives. And today, more than ever, People are searching for hope, for connection, for meaning. The life we've experienced in Jesus is available to our friends and neighbors, and it's easier to share than we might think. Over the next few weeks, we are running Alpha, an opportunity to share Jesus with friends, family, and colleagues in person or online. Each week, we'll connect with each other, watch a short video, and have time to discuss our thoughts and questions without needing to have all the answers. All it takes is a simple invitation. Share life, faith, hope, Jesus. Who will you invite? All right, will you welcome my friend Caitlin uh, here today? Hi everyone. <laughs> Kaylin, it's been really great um, in the last few years just to watch a journey that you've been on. Um, do you want to just tell everyone here just a little bit about kind of where you were at before Jesus, what happened, and where things are at now? Yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming today and for listening and hearing all of this. And I love this. This is great. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> um, so I think my journey started like when I was around 10 years old, the same age as my son, Dane. And I remember lying in my bed at night and kind of wondering, just being super curious and wondering the alpha question, like, is there more to life than this? And wondering what the trajectory of my life looked like. Like, who was in it? What was I doing? How was I doing it? Um, who would I be? And so that just curiosity stuck with me. And it has stayed with me my whole life. And so I'd like to think that that's like one of the underlying roots of my journey, that curiosity. And it brought me to a place when I was about 17, 16, 17, and I went to a youth group with some friends, which was really just a seasonal thing. And I kind of experienced Jesus in other people. And I wondered, and I kept wondering. And it kind of died down and life happened. And then when I was about 27, I'd had both of my, my Madeline and Dane. I'd yet to have Cassie, but um, I remember looking at them in their beds. And just, I don't know if you're a parent and you watch your children sleeping, how you just see like their angelic faces and how soft and sweet and vulnerable they are. 
And I got to think, like, what would happen if I died or if my husband Giannis died? Like, who would be there for them? Who would, like, you know, help them to feel secure and to know that everything would be okay? And certainly, like, it couldn't be a human because we all die. So where is the assurity in life that it is that is okay and that there's suffering and that there's a purpose to that. And so I just kept wondering. And in the meantime, I lived in this beautiful community of time in Walnut Grove. Um, and it was a really, really special time of my life. Um, we had a great group of women that we would kind of meet at the park and we would all talk about um, our kids. We'd talk about what we were doing, how much sleep we were lacking. We'd share coffee. We'd have, you know, cookies and things like that. And we would just be together. And I met this beautiful human there. Um, her name is Andrea. Some of you might know her. And her family was, um, yeah, a big part of that community. It continues to be a big part of that community. And we just would talk. And I knew that, like, in Andrea, there were, like, strong beliefs. I could see that. It was very apparent. And sometimes I'd be like, whoa, that's a lot. And I would like step back a little bit and I would think like, man, that girl spends a lot of time at the church. Like, don't you know there's other things to do out there? And she'd just always be talking about the things she'd be doing at church. And so I was like, okay, okay. Well, meanwhile, she ends up like leaving for three years and bringing her two-month-old baby and her other two children and her husband, they moved to India. And I was like, that's a lot. Like, I can't, that's, that's like way too Christian for me. I can't yes. do that. <laughs> so there was this big separation in my mind. Like, I, I was like, that's a, that's a her thing, that's a then thing, and that's not a me thing. And kind of as that happened, um, she leaves, goes to India, and I kind of settle here at North Langley and start coming to church. Um, I come and I sit at the back and I listen to the worship, and I am present, and I love listening to Matthew and all the other pastors. And I hear it. And I see the alpha thing, the big pitch. And I hear you talk about alpha so many times. So many times. So sorry. Yeah. yeah. And so finally, I guess one of those times, I was like, okay, I think I'm still wondering that question. Mm. And so I signed up for alpha. And I actually took it twice because I still had so many questions. And the second time that I took it, it was really this like piece on forgiveness that I really like struggled with. I didn't know, like, how do you do that? And so the interesting thing is Andrea comes back from India. And so her and I, we get together and she offers to pray for me. And prayer is that other piece, that other like root that dives deep into my heart, into my journey. And so she prays for me. And this was the first time that anybody had really like sincerely prayed and where you could feel the Holy Spirit in you. And pretty much what comes out of that prayer is this like beautiful big banner when Jesus says to me, like, you're enough, that's it, wow. you're enough. Wow. And that was like, okay, I think I'm coming closer. And then I go to second alpha and all this happens. And in those moments, like, it's actually, Matthew and I have talked about this, it's actually a choice. There's a lot of things that don't make sense at all, like the resurrection. Sometimes I get a little stuck on that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to make a choice. And so Andrea promised me, she's like, I promise, life will be better. And I was like, oh, I love my life. It's good just the way it is. And then I met Jesus. Hmm. Oh, it's better. It's way yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. And this divide of like them versus me, it like, it came together. And I actually want to read a scripture because it reminds me of that. And so in Matthew 5, 3 to 10, Jesus actually says to everyone, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in the heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that means all of us. Like, that's not just me. That's just not my friend who has lived life in church forever and ever. That's literally all of us. Like, Jesus is like, in you and you and you, and he prays for all of us. And like, that thread of curiosity, that thread of prayer, that thread of like, community coming together, it's all part of his plan. And I really see it. I feel it. Yeah. So. Welcome to the new preacher of uh, North Langley Community Church, right? <laughs> I just, I was, Kaylin, I said this in the, in the first service, but I was blown away just to see, just to see your passion and, just, and, and for you even just to say, and then I met Jesus, right? And things change. And so like what, what are, so you're serving in Alpha, what do things look like right now? And um, so two questions, how do things look right now? And then number two, can you give us any insight into couple of the ways in which you're, that community, things they did or didn't do, or things that would be helpful in, in how they pointed you to Jesus. Yeah, so that like other piece of community, I, I'm really brought to this idea that like, um, you know how we have like, Jesus says like, we're like this lamp, that we have this beautiful lamp and we can be this big fire and this light to others. But sometimes I like my old habits, you know, they die hard. So sometimes I like to put the bowl over top and so that I like hide away and no one can see the light. Mm. And all of my Christian friends, who by the way are everywhere, like they just pop up, like <laughs> whack-a-mole, like in my childcare, in my kids' childcare, at my school, at my work, like I'm walking and then oh, there's a Christian, oh, I'm at the baseball diamond, oh, let's talk about Jesus, how about, in, how about at like the hockey arena, we're gonna talk about Jesus and pray, like literally everywhere. And so like they just know, it's that love that they know that like they see Caitlin when she's like alive and a big light, and they just know when I've put that bowl over top. And so they come alongside unconditionally with wonderment and curiosity and just like no judgment. Mm. And they just pull the bowl off and then they stay with me and they come and they bring me meals yeah. or they pray for me. And the cool thing about the prayer part, I totally forgot this in the first sermon, but like that prayer part is that even when you think that like someone's not praying for you or you don't know prayer at all, Jesus prays for you. He prays for you all the time. Yeah. And so if you have curiosity, Jesus is praying for you. Yeah. And then if you are looking for community, mm -hmm. that's me. I can, you, yes. I, you can come sit at my table at Alpha. You yes. can sit at Matthew's table at Alpha. Yeah. There's, there's so many people here that would love to sit with you. And it's like a genuine thing. Like I really yes. like conversation. I'm not just saying this because I'm standing up here. But like come and sit with us. Yeah. 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 That's so good. If you're new to Jesus, sit at Caitlin's table. She's a great leader. Can we thank Caitlin for sharing today? Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's stories like Caitlin's that just honestly uh, keep me going, keep me excited, um, knowing that Jesus is moving. That's all we want to know, right, is that Jesus is loving the world, drawing people to himself. And so um, I, I'm so grateful. Thanks for sharing. And I, I'm convinced that the church's love for each other is our greatest evangelism. How did Caitlin come to know God? 
How did she come to know Jesus? Well, she saw it in, in, in people who had surrounded her. And, uh, and she was drawn to God. And if, we're, if, we, if we are shaped by the love of God, um, then we will have an, a, an incredible opportunity to watch many more people in our city give their lives to the Lord. And I want, I want to end with this. Paul says to the church at Corinth that he wants them to see the most excellent way. Well, what's the most excellent way? Well, it's the path of love. And he writes this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not proud. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And as we end, I want us to look at Jesus. See him on the cross. See his, he, the cross is the embodiment of love. And as you see the cross of Jesus, think about 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll put Jesus' name into the passage. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy in a sinful way. He does not boast in a sinful way. He's not proud in some sinful way. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. And Jesus always perseveres. And the Holy Spirit, who is here today, is delighted to shape you and I into the image of Jesus. So can we stand together? Let's stand. The Spirit of God is in the room. As we read in Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we want the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God into your heart. Our prayer teams are going to be up front here. They would love two things. Number one, Come for anything. Come for any kind of prayer. Our prayer room is back there. But secondly, they would love to intercede with you. Uh, maybe there's a name, one or two people that you would love to see uh, them encounter Jesus. And you would love to see the story Caitlin just shared be their story. Would you come forward and just bring their name? And our prayer team would love to pray uh, for, for them. And so we're going to think about those that, uh, that God has laid on our heart here. But we end with this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus, fill this room with your love. Shape in us self-giving love. And may many in our city be drawn to you by the love they see in us.